Have you ever come across someone famous and not realised? Uh, years ago, uh, I work as a vet in the other part of my week, and years ago I treated the dog of a newsreader who was very well known at the time. I can't remember her name now, but anyway. And although I, I thought she looked familiar, I didn't realise uh, quite who she was until after the consult when one of my colleagues pointed it out to me. Uh, a more embarrassing situation happened to a security guard in Jamaica. Uh, Usain Bolt, the Jamaican sprinter, widely considered to be the greatest sprinter of all time and the fastest person on earth over 100 metres. Uh, Usain was invited to a national athletics competition for high school students in Jamaica. So this competition is a huge annual event with the best young athletes in Jamaica competing. Usain arrived at the event with his entourage and as he attempted to walk through uh, the high metal gate onto the field, a security guard closed the gate in his face. He didn't recognise the greatest sprinter of all time. Despite Usain's confident swagger, his distinctive height and very well-known face, the security guard failed to recognise who he was. After a few moments, the guard realised his mistake or had it pointed out to him and let Usain through with a handshake and a lot of apologies. But the reaction on the field was totally different. The school students were ecstatic, cheering and waving banners. They were so excited to see their hero in the flesh. They definitely recognised who Usain Bolt was. Well, Jesus wasn't an Olympic athlete like Usain Bolt, but he had done some pretty spectacular things by the time we get to our story today in Mark chapter 2. He's been teaching in synagogues with a unique authority. He's called people to leave their careers and follow him. He's healed diseases with just a word or a touch. And he's freed people who were possessed by demons. He's shown amazing insight and supernatural power. And in this story, Jesus takes things even further. But we also see in this story that there are some people who recognize who Jesus is and some who don't. After all Jesus has said and done, some people come to him with joy while others watch from a distance with disbelief. Because of Jesus' successful teaching and healing ministry around Galilee, uh, we find out at the end of chapter one that he's becoming more and more well-known. And so after he heals the leper, at the end of chapter one, the gospel writer Mark tells us that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. But now, at the beginning of chapter 2, uh, Jesus goes back into a more populated area, returning to his hometown of Capernaum. And he obviously, he, he might have been able to keep a low profile for a few days, but soon people started to talk. You can imagine the conversations in the marketplace or over the backyard fence. You know the local cabinet maker? Yeah, the son of Joseph and Mary, the one who's kind of famous now. He's back in town. If you thought about it in modern terms, you might say that he was uh, trending on social media. 
And then on one hot, dusty day, word gets around that Jesus has set himself up in a particular house. Uh, perhaps it was the house of Simon and Andrew, who, where um, Jesus had previously healed Simon's mother-in-law, or maybe it was even Jesus' family home. And as Jesus begins to teach, the house fills up. There's a steady stream of bodies pushing through the door and people start leaning through the window. And once the house fills up, the crowd builds up outside as well. It's three or four deep. People straining to catch a glimpse, to hear a snippet of Jesus' unique, compelling wisdom. Well, then some men approach the house and they're moving a bit awkwardly because between them, they're carrying another man, their friend. And although this man has all his limbs, it's obvious that he couldn't have got this far on his own. Uh, the paralyzed man has been dependent and helpless for a long time, unable to work, unable to feed himself, not even able to go to the temple to offer sacrifices to God for his sins. His life has been one of suffering and misery. But something about this healer, the way his friends have been talking about Jesus, the man feels a flutter of hope. But as the little group gets closer to the house, the man's heart drops as he sees the huge crowd around the house. How are they going to get in? They're not anyone special, not like those teachers of the law who'd arrived just a few minutes earlier. The crowd had parted for them, opening a path to the front door so that these respected community leaders had easy access to Jesus. A space had been cleared inside and the teachers of the law sat themselves down so they could watch while Jesus taught. Well, inside the house, the crowd is eagerly listening to Jesus when some dust floats down from the ceiling. Not unusual in a hot, dry place like Capernaum. But then a large clod of dirt falls right on someone's shoulder. Now, house roofs were flat and accessed usually by a set of stairs on the side of the house. So it's not unusual that there might have been someone up there but then a shaft of light breaks through the ceiling and, and as the crowd looks up, they can see the sky through a hole in the ceiling. The roof would have been supported by wooden beams covered with branches and layers of mud plaster and it was covering which was replaced every year. And so while the damage is reversible, this spontaneous demolition is definitely not expected. A hush falls over the crowd as Jesus trails off midway through a sentence. He's a practice teacher by now. Jesus wouldn't have been thrown off by a bit of distraction, but he can hardly ignore this. And as the crowd looks up and sees the pinched, anxious faces through the hole in the ceiling, Jesus doesn't want to ignore them. Why do they so desperately need access to him? Well, there's a yell of warning from above before two of the men jump down through the hole and reach up to catch the man as he's lowered down on his mat. The crowd is still for a moment in shock, 
and then moves into action, helping to support the man's weight and passing him forward to lie in front of Jesus. And Jesus, to whom all hearts are open, sees the faith of this man and his friends and speaks words of compassion and freedom. Son, your sins are forgiven. The crowd starts to murmur to one another. This wasn't what they expected of Jesus, the famous healer. Surely this helpless man needs more than platitudes. But for some in the crowd, the, the ramifications of what Jesus has just said sink in. Wait, why is Jesus speaking like this? Who does he think he is? And although this wasn't the kind of healing that the paralyzed man had expected, he suddenly knows with a deep conviction that this is what he wanted from Jesus. The years of pain and poverty have been almost unbearable, but he realizes that Jesus has fulfilled his deepest need. He needs a Lord who sees all of him, who loves him, and who frees him from his guilt and shame. In the truest sense of the word, this Galilean teacher and healer has saved him. Neither the man nor his friends see the full picture of who Jesus is, but they still trust him. The teachers of the law, meanwhile, are silent in the corner, their shrewd eyes not missing a thing. These men know their Torah, the, the Hebrew name for the Old Testament. They can recite large portions of it. And at this moment, Isaiah 43 is one passage that springs to mind. The Lord says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Well, there's only one God. Every Jewish person knows that. And the Torah is very clear that only the one true God can forgive sins. So who, do this, who does this bloke think he is? Jesus is speaking blasphemy. He's dishonoring God's name by claiming to speak on his behalf. But then the situation gets even weirder. Jesus is crouching on the ground next to the paralyzed man when his attention is drawn to the silent teachers. The thoughts of their closed, hard hearts are revealed to him and in a quiet voice that everyone in the house can hear. Jesus says, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Jesus pauses, apparently waiting for a response, but the teachers keep their silence, staring at the ground or glaring defiantly back at Jesus. Jesus has heard the thoughts of their hearts, and he recalls another part of Isaiah 43, a rebuke to God's people Israel. The Lord says, you have not called on me. You have not wearied yourselves for me, Israel. But you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offences. 
Just like God had waited thousands of years for his people to call on him, to come to him as their Lord and Saviour, God the Son now waits a bit longer. Longing for these learned teachers of the Torah to repent and believe. But no. Jesus turns to include the crowd in his next words. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus looks at the man on the mat and commands him, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And like he's just woken from a long sleep, the man stretches his arms, his fingers, his back, his legs. His nerves are repaired. His muscles are strong and he gets up from the ground in one smooth movement like he's been doing it every day of his life. The crowd had heard that Jesus could do things like this, but seeing it themselves, that was something different. They know this man. They've lived alongside him. And now he stands at eye level with those he's only ever looked up at. He bends down, gathers up his mat, and strides out the door, the crowd parting hastily in front of him. Some people pat him on the back, touch his shoulder briefly in wonder. His friends greet him with cries of delight and joyful hugs. The man himself feels a new lightness, and it's not just that he can feel his body now. A path has been cleared. A thirst has been quenched. This afternoon, he will walk to Jerusalem and make an offering in the temple, a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord. Isaiah 43 comes to his mind. The Lord says to his people, forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. With this momentous miracle, Jesus proves that he is able to heal serious, debilitating disease. And his power over physical disease proves that he can also heal spiritual disease. As the teachers of the law correctly think, only God can forgive sins. Since all sin is rebellion against God, He's the only one who can ultimately do away with sin. But in his words and actions, Jesus makes a provocative claim. He claims that he has God's authority to forgive sin. At this early stage in his ministry, we're only in chapter 2, remember, Jesus isn't quite claiming to be God, but it's clear he's much more than just a charismatic leader a compelling teacher or a successful healer. By showing his power over sin and disease, Jesus is also announcing the long-awaited kingdom of God. Isaiah 43 is one of many passages in the Old Testament that associates the forgiveness of sins with the dawning of a new age. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. 
This story in Mark chapter 2 shows us that Jesus has God's authority to forgive sins. But it does more than that. This story is also a glorious glimpse of the coming kingdom of God. Jesus introduces his ministry in Mark chapter 1 with the message, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The coming age, the kingdom of God, has come near. A restored creation of streams in the wilderness and healing for those who suffer. And it's Jesus who brings in this kingdom. As Jesus healed disease, banished demons and forgave sins in ancient Israel over 2,000 years ago, he was mounting a frontal, a frontal assault on the forces of sin and death. And when Jesus died and rose again, he ushered in God's kingdom. Jesus' invitation to repent and believe the good news is an invitation to us as well to believe and to follow him. We can be part of God's kingdom now as we look forward to the full experience of the kingdom when Jesus returns and when we will live with God face to face and pain, suffering and death will be no more. And Jesus gives the same invitation to all people to believe and follow him so we can be part of God's kingdom. And so in this short episode in Mark's Gospel, we have two responses to Jesus' invitation, two responses to who Jesus is. Firstly, there's the paralyzed man and his friends who come to Jesus in need. They're nobody special. They don't have any particular skills to offer, except maybe excavation. They don't, don't have any particular uh, advanced knowledge about God. They're broken and hurting. And they likely don't know exactly how Jesus can help them. But they have faith, however small and weak. And this faith gives them the determination to get near to Jesus, no matter how ridiculous it makes them look. And when Jesus does forgive the man and heal his disease, they believe and obey. When Jesus commands the paralyzed man to stand up, take his mat and go home, he does. He believes Jesus' words and he obeys. And he experiences the cleansing of having his sin wiped away by God. And then there's the second response to Jesus that of the teachers of the law, the most learned religious people in Israel. They very likely would have been given very easy access to Jesus during his earthly ministry. They knew their scriptures inside out, and they thought that meant that they knew God inside out. They observed Jesus and those who came to him, self-assured and judgmental. And like the security guard who didn't recognize Usain Bolt, the teachers of the law failed to recognize who Jesus is. They didn't believe his claims and they didn't trust him. And Jesus sees the hearts of both these groups. He sees the faith of the paralyzed man and his friends, and he knows the thoughts of the teachers of the law. 
whether or not we truly recognise who Jesus is, he recognises us. He sees our hearts. He hears our thoughts. He knows our motives and our needs. And so there's comfort and there's warning here for us. If you're sitting here uncertain that you belong, desperate for help and healing, with a faith that often flickers and fails, Jesus sees to the depths of your heart and he says to you, daughter, son, my child, your sins are forgiven. I have taken your guilt and shame and I will fulfill your greatest needs. Now get up and follow me. Like the paralysed man and his friends, Jesus doesn't require that we have all the answers or that we come to him with our lives in order. He just invites us to come as we are, to receive his love, healing and transformation. But for some of us, this story might actually be a warning. If you're pretty sure you've got Jesus all figured out, you don't want anything to do with him, or you're confident he accepts you because of your knowledge or competence or righteousness, be careful. You might not know who Jesus really is. I know the state of my own heart can sometimes be like the teachers of the law. I can be self-assured and judgmental. I forget who Jesus is and I forget my need for him. And so I fail to pray. I don't believe Jesus' promises and I don't obey him. But praise God, when I repent, Jesus sees my heart in my flickering faith and he forgives me. Even if you failed to recognise who Jesus is for a moment or for a lifetime, the good news is that Jesus' invitation still stands. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And you also can experience the forgiveness of your sins, the joy of knowing and obeying Jesus. Well, as we come to Jesus, uh, this next song is a perfect opportunity to reflect on Jesus and his invitation to us. So let's stand and sing when I survey the wondrous cross.